Thank you, Brian, Laura, Beth. Appreciate you guys reading those to us. All right, so I don't know about you, but when we do our weekly scripture reading, usually from the Psalms or from the Gospels, I listen, but a lot of the time it doesn't stick. Do you have this phenomenon? Does this happen to you? If you ask me 10 minutes later, what did we read? Be like, oh man, I don't, I don't know. I can't remember, okay? It just passes through me like water through a pipe and it leaves no trace. Does that, am I the only one? Is that a, a common thing? Okay, so sometimes though, something that we'll read will grab my attention. It'll seize my mind and it'll stick in a valuable way. So this morning, for instance, does anybody remember the psalm that Laura Beth read? It was about 30 seconds ago. Do you remember what it was? It was Psalm, Psalm 67, is that right? Psalm 67, very good. Did anything, I'm just curious, and it may be something different than what captured me, but did anything, like, anything catch you in Psalm 67? What's that, say it again? The ironic blessing. Very good, the ironic blessing. And no one knows what that is, but I'm sure it's exactly, you're exactly right. It's this, okay? It's this line, the first line. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, right? That's what you mean, right? You guys, do you guys recognize that line? Has that ever been lifted off the page for you? Um, I honestly, I don't know anything about Psalm 67. There's another line in there, let the nations be glad. That's the title of a John Piper book. But I don't know, I don't have Psalm 67 in my mind, but I do have number six in my mind. And number six is that passage, is what it's, what it's, what it's quoting, right? And you probably have heard the whole thing of number six. I bet many of you are familiar with this. Um, and it's, it sticks to me and it's meaningful to me because this is what I pray for my kids all the time, right? The language goes like this. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and give you peace. The Lord turn his face towards you, right? Be gracious to you. Do you, do you know that language? Is that meaningful to you? Number six, like because I love that passage and because that passage is kind of run through my mind when Laura Beth read Psalm 67, I'm like, oh, hey, I know that part, right? I recognize that part. And it grabs my attention and it reminds me not only that I should pray for my kids, right? God bless my children, keep them. Make your face shine upon them, be gracious to them, right? But it also gives me hope because that wasn't my idea, right? That was his idea. He says, ask me for this. He says, ask me to bless you, to keep you. And so when I pray for my kids, Lord, turn your face toward them, I can do so with reasonable hope that he just might do that, right? Okay, so that's one example of how a reading that could, could and often does, if I'm being honest, kind of flow through me and leave no trace, sometimes interrupts me and grabs me. It doesn't always happen, but it also happened last week. So for me, that's two in a row, right? That's pretty good. Um, and last week's reading is the thing that I actually wanna to talk to you about this morning. So I know that was a long time ago. Like it's been 168 hours, but does anybody have any memory of what the Psalm was that we read last week? Is there any hope? Oh, let's dance, you got it, 145. Are you looking, are you cheating? Okay, you're cheating, but it's still something. At least you wrote it down, okay? Psalm 145, now if you have the Psalms in your brain at all, if you kind of have the organization of that, you might know that's near the end. How many Psalms are there? 150, okay, and the very end of the Psalter, the whole thing just erupts in praise. So if you start at 150, 149, 148, if you work your way back, it's just praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. And so if your guess is that Psalm 145 is about praising God, that would be a pretty good educated guess and you'd be right. But there's something else that's special about Psalm 145. And when, when we read it last week, 
It kind of grabbed my attention, okay? Here's the line. Tell me if and maybe this or maybe something else was arresting to you. It's verse eight. Nancy, you got verse eight? You wanted to go double or nothing on this? Or? <laughs> Psalm 145, verse eight, it says this. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Does that ring a bell for anybody? Have you heard that phrase before? The Lord is gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding love. Do you know why you know that? Do you know why that's like, what, what's the boast of that verse? Do you have any idea what it is? Because that is the most repeated line in the Old Testament. It shows up there, but it shows up in lots of other places. The original of it is Exodus 34. Okay, so in Exodus, okay, let's do that. We'll, we'll back up to Exodus 34. Where do we get the Ten Commandments? When does that show up? It's in Exodus. Do you remember the chapter? Exodus 20. So in Exodus 20, God gives the, the Ten Commandments. Literally, you know, literally these stone tablets that written with his own finger are the rules of life. This is what he wants us to do. And so Moses is up on the mountain and he's having a conversation with God and the people have received the law and they immediately decide that the best thing they can do right now is take off all their gold jewelry, melt it in a pot, make a cow and worship it, okay? Which... It just sounds like such a stupid idea to me. I'm sure they had their reasons. Something about that made sense to them. I don't know what it was. But Moses comes down from the mountain with these stone tablets and he see, literally, like in the moments of receiving the law, they're immediately violating the first one. They're worshiping false idols instantly. And he's so ticked that he just throws down the stone tablets and they shatter. And, uh, and God engages with these cow worshipers. It goes very badly for them. Um, and then he calls Moses back on the mountain. He tells Moses, I want you to go make, make me some new blank sheets of paper. Go carve some stone tablets, bring them up, and I will make with my finger a duplicate copy, okay? And when we read that second time that God gives the law, it's in Exodus 34. You can turn there if you want to. You don't have to. I'll put it on screen. But in Exodus 34, when God responds to the people and he's gonna give them the law for the second time, he has something extra to say at that moment. This is what he says in Exodus 34, verse five. The Lord descended in the cloud and he stood with Moses there and he proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Okay, that statement, giving it the second time they got the law, stuck, okay? That thing did not pass like water through a pipe, leaving no trace. That thing lodged in their minds and for centuries, it shows up over and over and over again in the Old Testament, okay? There's a long list. Um, it, is, it is the Old Testament's favorite Old Testament verse. It's repeated ad infinitum, okay? I'm gonna give you a, a sample. Not all of it, but I'll give you a sample, okay? Here's Numbers 14. It says, the Lord is slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiving sin and rebellion. Yet, he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. Numbers, or Nehemiah rather, chapter nine says, you are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. Therefore, you do not desert them. Psalm 86, but you, O Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, 
abounding in love and faithfulness. Psalm 103, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. Joel 2, return to the Lord, your God. For, can you guess why? For he is gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. And he relents from sending calamity. Jonah 4, I knew that you are, he wasn't happy about this, by the way. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from ascending calamity, okay? So sometimes the Israelites will add a new clause to it, and sometimes that added clause will get retained in subsequent expressions. Sometimes they'll drop a clause. Sometimes they'll re- reorganize things a little bit. And what all of that tells us, you guys, is that this thing lodged in their mind, and they were thinking about this. They were working out the implications of this. They were applying the fact that God is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love in a myriad of circumstances that they faced. And I think that what we are supposed to take from that is that we should do the same thing. We should be rolling around in our head. What does it mean today? How does it change my behavior that? What are the implications of this circumstance? Because God is gracious and compassionate. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in love, okay? And so what I wanna do, I've been thinking about this all week. It's kind of been stuck in my head last week and so I've been mulling it over and I decided to turn it into a talk, okay? So a handful of things that I've just kind of been processing on that I'll just invite you. Maybe one or more of these might land for you or maybe there's other things and that's great. But here's the first question I want you to kind of just consider. How closely does that statement correspond to what you think God is actually like? And I don't mean blah, 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 Sunday school. I mean, I know you probably could pass the quiz, but I mean like actually, as you go through your day, is it your default assumption that God is gracious, he's compassionate, he's slow to anger, he is abounding in love, right? Do you really think that he's all those things to you? I got a friend who shipwrecked his life last week, lost his job, might lose his marriage, and it just made an absolute royal mess of things. And he, he actually made some really poor decisions. And the consequences of that will be real. But he needs to know now, more than ever, that God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. Do you think that God is all of those things to you? that he's like that actually. Even just isolate one of them. Okay, let's pick compassion. What, is, what does the word compassion literally mean? If you break it down, calm, passion. What does that mean? Do you know? Okay, it means he cares, but there's, if you kind of, I don't know, Latin, Greek, whatever's going on in there, calm, passion, do you know? What's passion? It's pain. Calm, with. Okay, so it means that he has the same pain. Has it ever occurred to you that God is sad when you are sad, that he has the same pain. A couple of weeks ago, we were at feast with the 20-somethings and we looked at this incredible passage in The Magician's Nephew. Um, and it's so beautiful that we're gonna look at it again. So suck it up, 20-somethings, we're gonna do it again. Um, two things you need to know. There's about a kid named Diggory. And Diggory is, Diggory has just entered Narnia. The, the, the day that Narnia is being created, he comes into the land and he brings with him this evil witch and it's his fault. So the very moment of the birth of this world, he brings evil into it and bad stuff is gonna happen because of that. Number two for Diggory is that his mom is back in England gravely ill. 
She is sick, she is dying, and he is crushed about this. And because he is culpable for bringing evil into the world, Aslan gives him an assignment, right? We'll pick up the conversation that he's having with Aslan about that assignment. Diggory kept his mouth very very tight shut. He'd been growing more and more uncomfortable. He hoped that whatever happened, he wouldn't blub or do anything ridiculous. Son of Adam, said Aslan, are you ready to undo the wrong that you have done to my sweet country of Narnia on the very day of its birth? Well, I don't see what I can do, said Diggory. You see, the queen ran away, and I asked, are you ready? Yes, said Diggory. He had for a second some wild idea of saying, I'll try to help you if you promise to help my mother. But he realized in time that the lion was not at all the sort of person one could try to make bargains with. But when he had said yes, he thought of his mother and he thought of the great hopes he had had and how they were all dying away and a lump came into his throat and tears in his eyes and he blurted out, but please, please, won't you, can't you give me something that will cure my mother? Up until then, Diggory had been looking at the lion's great feet and the huge claws on them. Now in his despair, he looked up at its face and what he saw surprised him as much as anything in his whole life. For the tawny face was bent down near his own and wonder of wonders, great shining tears stood in the lion's eyes. They were such big bright tears compared to Diggory's own that for a moment he felt as if the lion must really be sorrier about his mother than he was himself. My son, my son, said Aslan, I know. Grief is great. Only you and I in this land know that yet. Let us be good to one another. Does that surprise you? Is it strange to you to think that God has ever had tears in his eyes for you? Do you really think that he is compassionate? That he is abounding in love? Do you think he'll be like that to you? Do you think he'll be like that to your enemies? Do you think that he would be like that to your son or your daughter who is far from him? The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love, steadfastness, faithfulness, keeping love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Because I want to suggest to you that whether you think that or whether you don't, it will shape the trajectory of your life. In fact, one of the, the second thing that I've been kind of pondering on is how we are, I am, you are, shaped, changed. Your life is being determined by your belief or your failure to believe, your inability to believe that God is gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. A.W. Tozier was a pastor and author. He's long dead, um, but he's famous for some of his books. And I read a book of his decades ago and there's one line in it that really stuck with me maybe more than anything else in that book he said this the gravest question before the church is always God himself and the most portentous fact about any man is not what he at any given time may say or do but what he in his deep heart conceives God to be like we tend to by a secret law of the soul to move toward 
our mental image of God. What he means there, you guys, is that we become like what we think God is like. If we believe that God is cruel, we will ourselves increasingly become cruel. If we believe that God is generous, we will become generous. If we believe that God is slow to anger, abounding in love, we will become, over time, slower to anger. And we will abound more and more in love because we tend, by a secret law of the soul, to move toward our mental image of God. Do you see then why Tozer says, this is the most important thing about us, right? What we believe to be true about God is shaping us. We are drawn to be and to become what we think he is. And so it's pretty important that we get it right. So maybe just ask yourself, maybe this would be the thing to take away from this, is what is your mental image of God? What do you really think he's like? Because you are inexorably moving toward that picture. Okay, final thing I've been mulling on. This very famous passage, often quoted passage throughout the Old Testament, it contains a weird tension. I wonder if you noticed it when I read it, okay? The tension that is captured here in this, in this short little statement, it's not unique to it. It's not some weird thing that just happens in Exodus 34. Frankly, it runs through the entire Old Testament. I'll read it to you again. You just tell me if you don't hear like the, oh, well, the which is it here, okay? Listen to this. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Okay, so what? He forgives iniquity sin transgression and he won't clear the guilty so which is it you do you feel that like which is it that is a absolutely massive point of tension that runs through the entire old testament and it never gets resolved at least not in that book god is merciful and god is just god forgives sin and he will not clear the guilty. God hates sin and he loves me. How do these things coexist? What, would act, what happens when the irresistible force of his mercy meets the immovable rock of his justice? What happens, okay? I want you to imagine with me a scenario, okay? We'll, we'll, go to, we'll go back a couple hundred years in American history and envision a Native American tribe, right? A tribe that is led over by a good chief, right? He is gracious. He is compassionate. He's good to his people. He loves his people. He wants to do good to them. And they are experiencing a miserable drought, right? Food supplies are scarce. The plants are dying. The buffalo are moving on in search of water, and they don't know what to do. And in the midst of this, the people, because we all have this basic orientation towards ourselves, begin to steal from one another. And the chief is wise enough to know that, listen, if we start you know, going after each other, if we're not sticking together, then the whole thing is gonna unravel. And so he issues a rule. The rule is this. If anybody is caught stealing, no matter who they are, we're gonna bring them to the center of the village, we're gonna tie them to a pole, and we're gonna whip them. We, can't, we have zero tolerance on, on theft. We cannot do this. 
And this chief, he is, as I said, he is ju- he's just and he is merciful. Well, sure enough, within a day or two, the cry goes out that a thief has been captured and everybody comes like, oh no, here it is, who is it? And they bring the thief before the center in the center of the town and it is the chief's own mother. What is he gonna do, right? So there is this dual reality in his life. He is merciful, he's tender, he's compassionate. This is the woman that he loves, who has raised him. But he is a just chief and the rule is clear. There's no ambiguity about this whatsoever. What will happen when justice and mercy have to somebody's got to give who wins who loses how's this going to play out well being a just uh chief he orders that his mom be brought forward and her wrists tied to the pole she's placed right here and the punisher comes up with his whip but before the command is given to rain the whip down on her back that indian steps in between his mom and the punisher stretches his broad shoulders across her frail back and places his hands over hers so that she is now safe within himself. And then, and only then, does he demand that the penalty be carried out. And when that whip falls, it does not fall on his mother, it falls upon himself. And thereby, he is both just and that the penalty has been carried out and he is merciful because he saw to it that the worst of it Indeed, all of it fell on himself. And thereby, he fulfills the obligation to be both just and merciful. It's probably not that hard to connect the dots and to realize that the way that God is able to be just and merciful concurrently to you is because his son stepped in between us and our great punishment and that wrath fell on him. The reason that we can experience God as gracious and compassionate, as slow to anger and abounding in love is because Jesus took the wrath, the blows of the whip fell on him. And if you are in him, if you have found him to be the place of safety, then you're safe because he took it all for you. Eric and the band are gonna sing a song for us right now. And it's a song based on the passage that we began with today from Psalm 67 and Numbers 6. That blessing, you guys, of number 6, it's an an ordainly, it's a divinely ordained call that we would ask God, Lord, bless me, keep me, turn your face toward me, be gracious to me, make your face shine upon me and give me peace. The hope here is that you wouldn't merely experience, wouldn't merely believe that God is gracious, compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love in some theoretical sense, but the God who is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love would turn his face toward you and give you peace, that he'd forgive you, he'd be gracious to you. If you know that you need that, and you do, I'd invite you to come forward as we sing that this is a blessing for you. Or maybe you would rather, or maybe in, in addition to that, you would wanna join me in praying that God would shine his face on your children, be gracious to them, that he would bless them, that he would keep them. Whatever it is where this lands for you, we invite you to come forward. You can stay in your seat, of course, it's nothing magic. But sometimes it helps us to move our bodies to engage and to say, Lord, bless me, keep me, turn your face toward me, for I need to live 
under your gracious, compassionate, slowness to anger, your abounding love. So this time is for you. I hope he might meet you in it, whether for the first time or the 50th time, that all that he is will be all for you. Lord Jesus, we love you. For it's in you that we experience grace and compassion, slowness to anger and abounding love. Would you turn your face toward us, shine upon us, forgive us, give us peace.